Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 1 this morning. This morning we have sung about the work of the gospel and what God has done through Jesus Christ in our lives for all who believe. This morning we are going to read his word about the power of the gospel in Romans chapter 1. My aim for this morning is for us to see the riches of the glory of God that are displayed through the power of the gospel. For us to see the majesty and the grandeur and the greatness and the riches that are found in the gospel. And I know the subject of the gospel is something that we talk about a lot here at Grace. It's really in our DNA uh, as a church because we want to speak about what God has done in our lives and learning about the gospel. And at the same time, we speak about proclaiming the gospel, the power of salvation to all who believe because we recognize that that's what it is. And so this morning, my aim is that we get a glimpse of those riches. You've heard the old statement, you can never have too much of a good thing. The gospel is one of those things. It never grows old. You know, there are some things in life that are, that are good things, but it is possible to have too much of those things. One of those things, in my opinion, is chocolate chip cookies. Now, I'll go ahead and say and tell you that if you ask me what my favorite food is, I'm going to say chocolate chip cookies. I think that, that, you know, that food pyramid, it should have a section on it that's totally devoted to chocolate chip cookies. And my wife is a great cook, and she will every once in a while make me chocolate chip cookies. But when she does, she gives me a warning. And she says, don't forget what happened last time. Because it, inevitably, every time she fixes those, cho- those chocolate chip cookies, what happens is I eat more than I should, and I'm miserable laying in bed after I've eaten all those chocolate chip cookies. So as good as they are, it's possible to have too much of a good thing. But then there are some things that they're always, they're always good. They're always sweet. You know, when I've been gone on a, on a trip and I, I come home, I know what's going to happen when I open the door. First thing that's going to happen is my three-year-old boy is going to run up to me and he's going to throw his arms out and he's going to scream out, Daddy, for me to pick him up and hold him. And then right behind him is going to come my baby girl crawling on the floor. And she's going to say, Dad, Dad, waiting for me to pick her up. And then right behind her is going to be my wife. And she's going to have a big smile on her face. And she comes up to me and gives me a big hug and a big kiss. That is always good. But then there's one thing that will be good for eternity. The goodness of it, the sweetness of it, the riches of it will never grow old. And that is the gospel. You know, when John had his vision that he described in the book of Revelation, he saw the throne room of God. And when he saw the throne room of God, he saw these these heavenly beings surrounding the throne. And as he saw those heavenly beings, they were crying out, singing to the lamb that was slain. You see, for eternity, we will be spending time around the throne in heaven, singing to the lamb who was slain, crying out, giving praise to him, giving thanks to him for what he accomplished in the gospel. So even after we have been in heaven for a million years, it will not grow old proclaiming and singing the goodness and the riches of the gospel. Forever we will have that privilege. This morning, 
I want us to be amazed. I want us to stand in awe of the riches of the gospel as we see the glory of God proclaimed through the power of the gospel. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 16, where Paul tells us about the power of the gospel. As you know, the book of Romans is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, and and this letter is the fullest treatment anywhere in the Bible of the gospel and what the gospel is. And the theme of the whole book is found in these two verses, chapter 1, verse 16, and verse 17, and describes the power of the gospel. Now, I will give you this caveat, is that we cannot possibly cover everything that's in these two verses, the riches of these two verses, in the time that we have this morning. I have a friend of mine who's been preaching through the book of Romans, and he spent four sermons, one hour each, going through these two verses. Now, I promise you, we will not do that this morning, so you don't have to worry about that, but we will look at these verses to see the riches of the glory of God displayed through the power of gospel as described here. So listen to the word of God this morning. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. And so the first thing we see in these verses is that the gospel is the power of God. Paul begins by saying that he is not ashamed of this gospel. And basically what he's saying there is that that he will make the gospel his boast, The gospel is what is going to be the thing that he proclaims. It's what is going to be on his lips. When he goes town to town, he's going to be proclaiming the gospel. When suffering comes in his life, he is going to be proclaiming the gospel. When his dying breath comes, the last thing that will be on his lips is the gospel. He is not ashamed of it. And the reason for that boast, for not being ashamed of it, is because the gospel is the power of God. Now, most of you all know, you've heard preachers talk about before, the meaning of the word gospel. Uh, In the Greek, it's a combination of two different words. Uh, You, meaning good, and angelion, meaning uh, good news, or news, message. And so, gospel is literally the good news or the good message that is given to us. But what I want us to understand is that the gospel isn't about the power of God. Paul doesn't say that it's about the power of God, but instead the gospel itself is the power of God. When he talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is what he says about the gospel. Hear this. Now I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, he was raised. This is not the message about the power of God, it is the power of God to save. And when we think about this power, when we think about this power, I want to think, what do we picture when we think about power? You know, maybe our, our first thought 
goes to electricity, you know, the power that, that runs our gadgets, or horsepower, the thing that, that drives our cars, or maybe you think about power in the form of political power, or power in your job, or maybe you think about a power in, in the sense of strength. I, I have a friend of mine who is the world record holder for his weight class. Uh, if you see this man, uh, he is a, he's a giant. He is a, he is a beast of a man. You look at him and you think, well, he can lift that piano right there with one hand. He went to India one summer, and a, a little boy looked at him and said, is that a man or is that a wall? Because he is, he's a giant. You see him, and you think, that, that is power, that's strength there. But when the, the word that is used here to describe this power isn't thinking in those kinds of terms. It, it's the Greek word dunamis. Uh, it, it's the same word that we get the word dynamite from. And some pastors have seen that and they've run with it and said, well, well, the gospel is this explosive power of God. But, but that's not what it gets at either. The word means ability or, or might or, or capability of doing something. And so what Paul is, is telling us here is that the gospel is the ability, it's the might, it's the power, it's the strength of God to be able to bring salvation to us to take he who is dead in his sins and bring him to life in Christ. And as we're going to talk about here in a minute, there is no greater power than that that will bring somebody to death in sin and alive in Christ. That is true power because it brings us salvation. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, when I think about the word salvation, I, I immediately think back to that moment that I was saved. When, when, I, when I was a young boy, heard the gospel, God worked in my life, and granted me salvation. But when we read the New Testament, there's really three different ways that the word salvation is used to try to describe our salvation. There is that, that first way, describes about salvation past, that we have been saved, that we have been saved from the penalty of our sin. This is when God forgives us, he makes us new creatures, we go from being dead in our sin to being alive in Christ, like we uh, just talked about. So we can say we have been saved. But there's also a sense in which we can say that we are being saved. You and I continually struggle with sin in our lives. Paul talked about that in the book of Romans. So he talks about how we are being saved from this struggle that we have. So there's a sense that we can say we are being saved from the power of sin in our life. But at the same time, we can also say that our salvation is future. There's a sense in which we will be saved. There's a future time when we will enter into heaven, we'll be forever freed from the presence of sin in our life, and we'll stand before God forever, and so we will be saved fully, completely, totally at that time. So when Paul talks here about the gospel, he's not just talking about that moment of salvation, that whole moment, that moment of, of uh, conversion, but he's talking about this whole gamut of salvation, that first moment of salvation through all your life as God grows you, as God sanctifies you, as he walks beside you, as you, then as you take your step into eternity and you spend forever with him, standing before the throne of God, crying out, glory to God forever. And it's because of this that Christ died in our place, that he paid our ransom, that our salvation is fully accomplished by him, that we will stand forever singing the praise of the, for God to the Lamb for shedding his blood, that we might know the power of the gospel. This is the power for all who believe, and that is good news for us. If you have believed, this is the power that you know. This is the power that you have experienced. When I was 10 years old, I experienced that power. Which God showed me that 
I could not earn my salvation. I could not be good enough. Going to church was not enough. Being a good boy was not enough. But he opened my eyes and brought me from being dead in my sins, even though I didn't realize it before then. He brought me to that knowledge to know that I was dead in my sins, that I needed him, and brought me to salvation. That is the power of God for salvation. Some of you were like me. You were saved out of dead religion. You thought that being good was enough. You thought that going to church was enough. You thought that, that you were basically a good person until God showed you his grace, his goodness, the power of God for salvation, and you trusted in him, and now you'd go from dead religion to a relationship with God. Some of you know this power because you came out of a life in which you rejected the truth of God, and you were held captive by the philosophies of this world. And you gave yourself to atheism or postmodernism, whatever rejection of truth that you had. But God brought you out of that and showed you the truth so that you no longer follow those things but follow him. Some of you, I know, God brought you out of a life given to depravity and drugs and whatever else and gave you salvation. Some of you were saved out of a life given to the pleasures of this world, totally devoted to your own hedonistic pleasure. Each of those things is the power of God for salvation, bringing you out of that deadness and into life in Christ. Brother and sister, if you have experienced this power, then I ask you, how can it ever grow old in your life? You have been brought from death to life. It's like that old hymn that you might remember. I love to tell the story. I love to tell the story. It will be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story. It is pleasant to repeat what seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. This will never grow old. And brother and sister, if you think that is old right now, then you don't understand the power of the gospel and what God has accomplished in your life, or you don't know the gospel. Because that is the glorious truth that we know, the power of the gospel for salvation. So that's what Paul tells us. Gospel is the power of God for salvation. Now, next he tells us that, the God, that how the gospel is the power of God for salvation. How the gospel rescued us from being dead in sin. And this is where we see the power of the gospel in action. And this is where it really, really gets good. So listen to this. Hear here verse 17 again. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So the gospel is the power of God for salvation because the righteousness of God is revealed through the, the, through the gospel. Now, this brings up a question for me makes me consider something. How is the righteousness of God, the power of God for salvation? What does the righteousness of God have to do with it being, the gospel being the power of God for salvation? Because I know how people have taken this. Because Martin Luther read this verse, and when he read this verse, it didn't bring him hope, it terrified him. Because he read there about the righteousness of God. Martin Luther wrote, over 500 years ago, I had been captivated with an extraordinary ardor for understanding Paul and the epistle to the Romans. But a single word, the righteousness of God, stood in my way. I hated that word, righteousness of God, which I had been taught to understand as the righteousness with which God punishes the unrighteous sinner. So I raged with a fierce and troubled conscience. 
Why was he terrified of God's righteousness? Because God's righteousness is not good news for the sinner. God's righteousness is damnation for the sinner. When the Bible says that God is righteous, it means that he is perfectly right in all that he does. And when it says that he is righteous, it it means that he is also perfectly just in all that he does. And he is perfect in those things. So the God who is perfectly right and perfectly just is going to give the perfect justice that is due to each and every single person's sins. He is going to give the punishment that each sin deserves. That's what his righteousness and his justice is. And so the problem is that each person is not righteous. This is the message that Paul tells us in Romans 3, that there is none who is good, there is none who is righteous, there is none who deserves the grace of God. Each person is radically sinful. In fact, you and I are probably more sinful than you and I could ever realize. And God is going to punish each person's sins according to what those sins deserve, according to a perfect justice. Every single sin will be dealt with. There will be none that will be overlooked. What you have done in secret will be dealt with. What you do that no one else knows about, what you think, each one of those sins will be dealt with. So, how could the righteousness of God be good news for us? The righteousness of God is good news because not only does it reveal the righteous character of God, but it also reveals the gift of God's righteousness to us in the gospel. The gospel reveals to us, it tells us that we can have a righteousness that comes from God. In the Greek, when it says righteousness of God, it can also be translated, also mean a righteousness from God. And this is where the good news is found. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, it means a righteousness that comes from God and a righteousness that satisfies God. Remember, God is perfectly holy and righteous and just. His righteousness demands that there be a satisfaction for sin. He cannot simply overlook it and say, I did not see that. He will give the punishment that is due for unrighteousness. The gospel, the good news is that his wrath is satisfied in the death of Christ for our sin. On the cross, a great exchange took place. On the cross, Christ bore the wrath, the punishment of God for sin upon himself. And then at the same time, he took his perfect righteousness and placed it upon every single person who trusts in sin, in him. So sin is placed on Christ, righteousness is placed upon the one who trusts in him. There is that great exchange that takes place. And so this is where we see the power of the gospel. Our sin radically separates us from God. His righteousness and holiness are so great that there is nothing that, can, nothing that we can do to bridge the gap to be in God's presence. But at the cross, brothers and sisters, at the cross, our sin is dealt with wholly, completely, fully, so that our sin is forgiven and the righteousness of God is given to us. John Piper says, God demands righteousness and we don't have it. 
So the only hope for us is that God himself would give the righteousness that he demands. That would be good news. That would be gospel. And that is what he does. The reason the gospel is the power of God for salvation is that in it God reveals a righteousness for us that God demands from us. What we had to have but could not create or supply or perform, God gives us freely. Brothers and sisters, this is good news. What we could never have on our own, God gives to us. See, you could never merit the righteousness of God being given to you. You could never earn that righteousness. You could never be good enough so that it would be put upon you because by our very nature, you and I are sinners. We do not earn this righteousness. It cannot be bought. It cannot be merited. It cannot be deserved. In fact, everything about you and me says that we should not receive the righteousness of Christ. But God, in his grace, gives us the righteousness of Christ when we trust in him. How do we receive that righteousness? It is entirely by grace through faith. That's the point of what Paul says here when he, when he says that it's from faith to faith. As, as is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. How do we live? By faith. How do we receive the righteousness of Christ? It's by faith. How do we get this? It's by faith. It's all by grace through faith. You don't try harder. You don't work harder. You don't try to be better. You don't have Jesus plus something else. It's Jesus, the power of God, through the gospel for our salvation. And that is where we get the righteousness of God, by grace through faith. And when you get the righteousness of God credited to you, God looks at you, he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ, not your own sin. That is the power of God, brothers and sisters. You go from being condemned, being dead in your sin, being a dead man or woman walking, to being raised to newness of life, being made a new creature, There is no other power that can do that. This is the power of the gospel. Now, brothers and sisters, you and I have just scratched the surface of this. We could talk for days about the riches of the gospel. And in fact, we'll spend eternity giving praise to our God for the riches of the gospel that are displayed through Christ what I want to do now is I want to, for us to think about three levels of impact that these verses, that the power of the gospel has upon our lives. Three levels of impact for us to consider. The first level of impact is for those in this room who do not know the power of the gospel. I would guess, I imagine that in a room this size with this many people, there are some sitting here who do not know Christ. There are some sitting here who have never trusted in Christ. There are some sitting here who don't really care much about the gospel. There are some here who really have rejected truth itself. There are some who are probably sitting in here who are good, moral people. Consider yourself religious. Go to church regularly. But in reality, you have never experienced the power of the gospel. Paul describes some as those who have a form of godliness but lack the power thereof. If this is you, then I want you to understand that the righteousness of God should be a fearful thing for you this morning. Your sin will be dealt with. 
If you do not know Christ, have not trusted in Christ, I can promise you this one thing. Your sin will be dealt with. One of two ways that will happen. Either you will bear the punishment for your sin for all of eternity, and you will bear that, or Christ will bear that punishment in your place. And so if that is you, I make the same claim and statement that Paul made. And I plead with you, turn to the one who can give you everlasting life. As Paul says, turn to him in faith. Put your trust in him and him alone, and he will give you forgiveness. He will show you grace that you have never known before, and you will have forgiveness of your sins, and you will have the greatest satisfaction you will ever experience, and you will get God himself. Nothing compares to that, I promise you. So if that is you, I plead with you, turn and call upon him. The second level is for those of us who know the gospel. We've experienced it. We've turned to Christ. We've trusted in him. We've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You can look at your life and say, I've experienced the power of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, what I want you and me to see is that we still need the gospel. Second level of impact, you still need the gospel. Even if you have been a believer for 50 years, I will tell you, you need the gospel every bit as much today as you did the moment that you were saved. It's the power of, gospel, of, of the gospel that saved you that day. It's the power of the gospel that has kept you up to this time. It is the power of the gospel that will keep you until the moment that you stand before your Savior in eternity. And it's the power of the gospel that you will stand there forever in the presence of God. So you need the gospel today. It's not like you outgrow it. It's not like we say that the gospel is for baby Christians and we move past that. No, we will spend forever thinking about the goodness and the riches uh, that are found in the gospel You will never, ever mind the riches that are found there. It is always the good news, and it will always, always be good, and we need it. The final final level of impact concerns the priority that the gospel should have in the life of the believer. And so I want us to think about this question. If it is true that God is a just God. And if it's true that those without Christ will experience his eternal justice and unending hell, and if it's true that the gospel is the power of God for salvation, then the only implication that is possible is that the believer's life must be given to making the gospel known. I can think of no other possible implication that can flow out of that, but that our lives must be given to making that good news known. See, these verses paint a very clear picture. Those who know the power of the gospel will have the righteousness of God for eternity. Those who do not know the power of the gospel will know unending torment for all of eternity. The only conclusion is that my life, your life, the life of every believer must be given wholly for the sake of glorifying God through making disciples here and around the world. 
The question is, will your life be given to the advancement of the gospel and the proclamation of the good news? In reality, the majority of things in our lives will not stand for eternity. My house, my cars, my yard, all the things that I have are very, very temporary. The thing that stands forever will be the righteousness of God that he has granted to me as I stand forever in his presence. And so will I give my life for the advancement of his kingdom through the claiming of the gospel? So this morning, if you do not know this power of the gospel, my plea to you is to call on Christ for salvation. He is faithful. Take his yoke upon him. His yoke is light. His burden is easy. Call on him for salvation. And my, my plea, my call, brothers and sisters, you who I know and have walked with and love and you are my family, is that you and I, must give ourselves wholly for the sake of the gospel. As long as there are family members who I have who are living in dead religion and don't know Christ, my task is proclaiming the gospel to them. As long as my neighbors, my friends don't know that truth, my task is proclaiming the gospel to them. As long as the county just south of us is less than 20% churched, not even considering whether they're believers or not, my task is not finished. As long as there are two billion people in the world who do not have access to the gospel, the task is not finished. And so brothers and sisters, I invite you to consider with me if this word is true, how will you give yourself for making that word known? Because you have the power of the gospel. Will you make it known? Let's pray this morning. Our Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the power of the gospel. Lord, we recognize that we have no power in and of ourselves. We have no righteousness in and of ourselves. The only thing I deserve is your punishment for all my sin. But thanks be to you that Christ has bore my sin on the cross and you gave me your righteousness. I do not deserve it, but God, I stand before you in praise of your holy name. God, with that truth, may I make your name known. And God, for those in here who do not know you, God, I pray that you will place conviction upon their heart and that you will call them by the power of the Holy Spirit and that you will bring them into your marvelous light. They'll call upon you for salvation and know you and know the joy of knowing you for eternity. And God, for those of us who have already experienced that, God, I pray that our hearts will be given to making that truth known. Lord, move among us by your spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.